thanks for checking out Covenant's podcast. Our prayer is that God uses this message to impact your life. All right. Good morning, Covenant. How are you today? All right. Good. Glad to hear it. We have been here now for a year, the Bundys, and we've grown to love you very, very much. Not nearly as much as God loves you. And I was reminded by a dear brother this morning, I love you, but God loves you more. What a great welcome to the church this morning. Can I extend that to you as well? We love you. We love you, but God loves you more. So that applies to you, whether you're a longtime covenanter or whether you're a first-time guest with us today, whether you're here in the room in person or joining us online, whether you're in the Doylestown area or in Zimbabwe or any other locale around the world, we extend the love of God to you because he's been so generous with us. Today we have a text for our sermon, and I would like to read it first. And then we'll begin to talk about our series and our message. But first, the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. It reads like this. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Praise be to God. We all have some Christmas songs that are probably on either our most desired listen list, We've got our playlist, we can't wait to break out. Or some songs that are on that other list that I hope that this year the radio forgets that they ever produced that song list. (laughs) And I thought maybe for a minute before we talk about Mary's song, we would think a little bit about what Christmas songs are and what they mean to us because this month we're talking about the songs of Christmas. And as we lead up to our Christmas Eve services here at Covenant, We're thinking a little bit about the music that faithful people, God people throughout the ages have been singing about their art, about the lyrics, about the hopes and the dreams of it, and about our own music and how these things testify to us about the grace of God and the gospel that became known in Jesus Christ. So let's think a little bit about Christmas songs for a minute. You know that the silent night of Jesus' birth was invented 203 years ago. All of the braying of the animals and the cries of Mary and labor and the distress of Joseph as he looked for a room somewhere but no room to be found in the inn. Someone in around 18 and 18 turned that cacophony 
a very fleshy human music to God into a silent night. Most of our songs that we call beloved Christmas songs or hymns are actually relatively new. Let me play a few clips for you. Uh, from 1942, we have White Christmas. Maybe this will sound familiar to you. Feeling the mood? Feeling the Christmas mood? Maybe uh, from 1943, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. These are the songs you grew up with? Let your heart be light From now on Our troubles will be out of sight oh Lord, let that prayer come true Or with one more from 1945 uh, The Christmas Song Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Maybe these songs bring back uh, memories to you of your growing up times. The thoughts of presents under the tree. I don't know if anyone actually roasts chestnuts on an open fire anymore for fear of burning fingers and tongues, but boy, it harkens back some nostalgia, doesn't it? even if we've never had some really good German roasted nuts at Christmas time. These songs kind of pull on our hearts, but they're very culturally ours. They're not bad Christmas songs, but they're ours. They talk about snow and roasted nuts and presents under trees, things unknown to Mary. This got me thinking a little bit about the newness of our Christmas songs and the ancientness of Mary's. What has happened over time in our music? How have we come to imagine this holiday and what it means? What have we invented in the last 200 years that we've added on? And what was God doing from eternity past that he wants us to reclaim and remember this season anew? Yes, The Silent Night was written in 1818, Away in a Manger, a great Christmas hymn written in 1882. You know the song, Do You Hear What I Hear? Doesn't it sound old to you? It was written in 1962, in the American rock and roll music age. Now there's some older Christmas songs that we still have around. Uh, in the 17th and 18th century, there were a few songs written like, God rest ye merry gentlemen, and hark the herald angels sing. But by far, most of the ones we know today are newer. Think about these French Christmas songs from the 12th and 13th century. I bet you haven't heard them. One of them was called The Friendly Beasts. It was a French Christmas song about all the animals at the birth of Jesus. Another one similarly uh, titled, I guess the French were really all about their, their animals, was called Between the Ox and the Gray Donkey. <laughs> Older yet, from the fourth century, we have some records of early Christian hymns about the birth of Jesus. In Latin, Jesus refulsit omnium, which means Jesus illuminates all, was a song written by Hilary of Portiers. 
And we have another one from around the same age by a Roman Christian poet, Prudentius, called Corde Natus Ex Parentis, which means of the Father's love begotten. So we know that at least as early as the fourth century AD, Christians were writing songs specifically about the birth of Jesus. It had become important to them. And they recognized in Scripture that the birth stories of Jesus were not just a vehicle to get us to the cross, but an important part of the gospel themselves. That they told us, taught us in some ways about what it means to be human and what it means to participate with a God who's become incarnate and taken on our cares as his own. So this month, we're looking at the songs from Scripture that captured the original hopes of Jesus' arrival, of his advent, his coming. Those songs and dreams and imaginations of the people of God, long before tinsel or ornaments or brown paper packages were ever invented. I would ask you at this time to pray with me for a moment. And then we will begin to unpack Mary's song for what it means for Covenant Church today. Would you bow with me? God, as we come into this place thinking about our Christmas songs, some of us might uh, not be ready for Christmas 2021. Some of us may be in a place where we really don't want the radio to begin playing those songs again. Some of us have lost someone this year, been separated from someone this year, become lonely or estranged from family in the great tensions of the past two years. Some are in between jobs right now, feeling cast away. Others are hopeful that this season will be a return to some normalcy that the nostalgic feelings that we have when Christmas songs come on the radio would maybe again be true in the way that this season feels. Our expectations might be growing. For some, it may be that the expectations for this season are getting too large to where there is no holiday that could fulfill them. We want to come to you, Father, maker of all seasons, And the one who sent your son Jesus in this world to be born in that manger 2,000-something years ago, we want to come to you and ask you to work in covenant church in the next few weeks to bring about healthy expectations, biblical hopes, and connections and community for those who are lonely so that by the time we worship together on Christmas Eve later this month, we will all have received a spiritual gift from you to help adjust our lives and our hopes to the work that your gospel is doing in this community and in this world. We pray this prayer through the name of Jesus, your son, born to Mary, and all the church together says, amen. So as we think about Mary's song, Let's ask two questions today. The first one is, what led to its writing? Why this song? And why is it in Scripture? And the second question we'll look at is, what does it mean for us today? 
What led to this song's writing? Well, in the Gospel of Luke, we read that Luke was a researcher. In the first chapter of Luke, he describes his process, that he, in a different way than some of the other Gospel writers, set out to write an organized account of what happened with this person called Jesus. And he went, presumably, and did some interviews. This song is not recorded in Matthew, in Mark, or in John. Each of them have some unique information to offer about the life of Jesus, but this song belongs to Luke. I don't know, but I imagine. Luke, the physician, friend of Paul, beloved co-worker and church planter and apostolic worker in the, in the early church as recorded in the book of Acts, making a journey to the hill country of Judea in which he knocks on a few doors to find out uh, which one of these houses is Mary's. And then he walks down the street and with some bated breath and anticipation, his hand hovers above the door that he knows belongs to the woman who brought into the world his Lord and our Savior Jesus. And he knocks. She answers, now somewhat aged, with her hair bleached by the years of care and concern, maybe pulled back into a simple bun of some kind. She welcomes him in and shows him some customary Jewish hospitality. Oh, surprise, there's John the Apostle sitting in the corner because he cares for her now like his own mother and she for him like her son as Jesus appointed at his cross. Luke sits down now in warm, friendly company, unrolls his parchments and takes out his pen and his ink and begins to ask some questions. Mary, go back to the time when the angel Gabriel came to you and foretold that Jesus was coming. What do you remember that maybe will soon be lost to us? What might we not have recorded yet? And Mary begins to tell a story about Gabriel's visit to her as recorded in, in, in Luke chapter one, about the fact that even before she knew this, the angel Gabriel six months before had gone to her older cousin Elizabeth and foretold the birth of John the baptizer, the forerunner, the one who would proclaim and preach Jesus into his ministry that when Mary received her own visit from Gabriel six months later, she was so filled with joy and wonder and fear and curiosity that she packed up her things and headed off through those Judean hills to find cousin Elizabeth. That she herself, so many years before, had knocked at the door of Elizabeth, her cousin. And that when she had entered the door, when she had hurried up to Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, cousin, cousin, I've arrived, that the baby John in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy at the arrival of the mother of the Messiah. The first prophetic act of John the baptizer's ministry took place while he was a fetus and Elizabeth was carrying his weight in her womb. And it's in scripture because Luke went, presumably, and interviewed Mary. In a loud voice at that time, Elizabeth cried out this blessing on Mary at her arrival. Blessed are you, Mary, among women. 
Blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to see me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And so Elizabeth blesses Mary with this wonderful blessing. Blessed is she who believed. Blessed is she who trusted that when God spoke through his angel, she believed. She didn't come here because she didn't believe, because she needed confirmation, but maybe, as Calvin once wrote in, in one of his, uh, his harmonizing of the Gospels, that she was taking advantage of the sure signs that God had offered to strengthen the faith of those who already believed by visiting Elizabeth and seeing that the baby leapt in her womb and hearing the blessing that comes from Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who doesn't know that Mary's pregnant with the Savior, except for in this moment the Holy Spirit has revealed it to her. What wonderful stories Luke has uncovered as he finds that the Holy Spirit was acting the whole time, just as he suspected, because he had been in the missions field and seen what the Spirit was doing in the churches of the early Christian movement. And now it's confirmed the Spirit was moving in the fetus, John. The Spirit was moving in Elizabeth, the aged, pregnant, Judean woman. The Spirit was working in Mary, the young, pregnant, Judean woman. It is a small story. It's easily skipped in our scripture readings. It is a small story about genuine connection between two pregnant women of different generations. Notice the age gap that they share love and they share faith as well as kinship. And they share something else. They're pregnant together with two of the most important men that history will ever write about or sing about. And so this Christmas song of Mary's emerges from the prophetic utterances of two marginalized pregnant women. It reminds us that those who are alienated by their culture might just be visited by the Holy Spirit. This scene is really absurd in some ways, that the coming of the Messiah who will redeem Israel is anticipated and proclaimed not by archangels or priests or emperors or even ordained preachers, but two marginalized pregnant women, the young, poor, unwed, the other far beyond the age of conception, they meet to celebrate and possibly commiserate about their miraculous pregnancies. The baby leaps, blessings are shared, astonishment is expressed, and songs are sung. The story is odd and joyful, but fleshy, earthy, and appropriate as a forerunner to the incarnation. It really speaks to the fact that Jesus came to live among us. God gives Mary and Elizabeth two things that they each lacked, community and connection. What a wonderful reminder at a time of year when we all want it and so many feel so lonely. God removes their isolation and helps them understand themselves as part of something larger, a grander story, a bigger experience. He helps connect them in their mourning sickness. 
in a way that is a real step forward in the oncoming work of God's redemption in the world and of their nation. Together, they're known more fully and see more clearly than they do as individuals. This is truly an Advent message. It is a message of expectation, of waiting for God's arrival, of hope and understanding that starts slowly and quietly. We anticipate its growth and full manifestation. I mean, we already have the trees up, don't we? We went and bought ours yesterday, the Bundys did. We went to a tree lot where you're supposed to borrow one of their saws and cut down your own tree. I brought my very smallest woodsman's ax like this for my son to wear in his flannel to hold for a picture. My wife said, don't you dare. Um, So just, you know, to the side, just snuck picture. (laughs) Somebody said to me today, hey, you're not wearing plaid, you always wear plaid. I said, sure I am, it's just black on black today. We had on our plaid, we had on our flannel, we went out to saw the tree down, we got, the, we got the saw, we got the cart, we walked out there, and what did we find? Charlie Brown trees of every shape and size. We put the saw away, we put the cart away, we packed the kid back in the car, that's a chore unto itself. We drove right down the road to this little tree lot that's right here off the corner of Covenant Church. We pulled in and we bought one of their pre-cut trees that was prettier and cheaper than any of the ones we had seen in the field. We looked at each other and said, this isn't quite how we imagined it. <laughs> Boo-hoo. <laughs> we anticipate its full growth and manifestation even now. We're putting up the trees. We're putting up the lights. We're putting up the stockings. We unpacked the five boxes of Christmas ornaments that were not available to us last year when the Bundys were in a small apartment at this time. And so we're seeing some ornaments that we haven't seen in two years since our child's very first Christmas. We anticipate everything that the Christmas season will entail and all of the hopes and the dreams of it, but we do not yet experience it. It takes root in the waiting, and the fact that we decorate early is a witness to this. The fact that Mary and Elizabeth must wait through months of pregnancy is a witness to this. And the fact that they sing these songs while they're waiting, not yet fully experiencing God's salvation, is a witness to this. So what led to its writing? The immediate desperate need of these women to praise the God of their salvation and remain centered on him in the trouble that they lived in. The history of their people who had hoped in God and waited for him to act in fresh new ways for many centuries, this is what leads to the song. And plus, Mary, as I've mentioned before, was a Bible-reading kind of girl. She paid attention to the prophets and the Psalms. She knew what was in the Torah. And her song includes over 20 allusions or direct quotes to the Old Testament. Not to mention that the whole thing is essentially a summary of the story and covenant promises of God. This is what leads to her song, is hope unfulfilled, but a dream that God will yet act. So what does it mean for us? As we read her song and unpack her song, what does it do for covenant? Well, it does a few things. First of all, the song is all about God. I don't know how long it's been since you carefully read this song. I don't know whether you've recently heard preaching on this song or or whether you've ever done a devotional on this song, but would you look at it with me for a minute today? I would like to read a second time the song of Mary 
and ask you to look for how it is all about God. And I'm going to foreshadow it for you. The center of this song called the Magnificat by many is the God who saves. The song will also say that God remembers, that he does great things, that he extends mercy, that he performs mighty deeds, that he scatters the proud, that he brings down rulers, that he lifts the humble, that he fills the hungry, that he sends the rich away empty, that he helps Israel, that he remembers mercy, and that he keeps his promises. It is all about God. Can I hear amen from the church? Can I hear, holy is the Lord? Let's read it again. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm, scattered those proud in their inner thoughts, brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. He fills the hungry with good things, but sends the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. The song is all about God. This is how Christmas was meant to be. This song reminds us, it offers a picture of spiritual disciplines like waiting and simplicity and justice. These are important Christmas themes Simplicity and justice and waiting are ingrained deeply in the ministry of Jesus himself, who often goes without food or a bed to rest in, who sleeps out of doors, who travels wearily from town to town, who sets right wrongs, and who himself waits with earnest, desperate praying in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating like drops of blood as he waits for God to act. These elements of Mary's song show up in Jesus' ministry, but they show up in our lives as well. In our expensive, heavily calendared holiday season that starts somewhere around Halloween and ends after January 1st, We sense here an urge to set our expectations low, to bring them down again a bit, to ask, what is the minimum required for happiness? What do I really need to find contentedness among family and the people of God? We find here an urge to combat nostalgia, which really isn't what it used to be. Nostalgia has us looking backward. Our expectations have us looking forward, often with stress. Our consumerism has us looking both forward and outward for fulfillment. Who will allow us to simply be? Who will allow us to just be together, to simply enjoy each other's presence, as Mary does with Elizabeth for six months? and commiserate and nurture each other? Who will allow us to do that with each other? 
Who in our world of discontent will allow us even and even urge us to set our expectations low and just sit with God and sit with family and remind ourselves, with this I can be content. Who will urge us to wait for his salvation and discover joyfully that we receive it more fully while we wait? And what about justice? Do we hear in Mary's song that there is so much yet in our world and our hearts that is self-centered about giving and receiving, motivated by new toys or shiny things, by which we might define ourselves. And can we see the world changing, in fact, turning upside down socioeconomic tone of Mary's song? Luke's motif of God's reversal of fortunes will show up in the ministry of Jesus, not just in the song. So consider these examples, because for Luke, this isn't intended to raise fear or violent resistance or drive the wealthy and powerful to despair. No, it's meant to engage us in acts of compassion and acts of justice. These verses must be read in light of examples like the rich young ruler from Luke 18, who's offered the opportunity by Jesus to give up what he has, sell it, give money to the poor, and come simply be with Jesus. Or Zacchaeus, who seemingly responds better than the rich young ruler, that when salvation comes to his house, he gladly sells many of his possessions, gives back generously to those he's defrauded, and gives even more away in charity. The gospel of Luke will work out the song so that the well-off are exhorted to deal with their wealth in a way that brings them into positive relationship with the poor in order to take together the same salvation of God. How does this play out at Covenant? Well, consider the implications for our holiday giving that Bruce announced just moments ago, that we together living in a land of plenty even if our season and our holiday isn't quite what nostalgia says it was in the past, have an abundance to give generously to those who do not have. We as people of God do not wait on governments to get things right. We do not wait for them to care for the poor, to show love, charity, and generosity. We're urged by the song of this poor peasant woman in the hills of Judea, pregnantly commiserating with her older cousin, to do good while the opportunity is in front of us, to give generously and to trust God who always returns generosity with an even greater outpouring of his own love. Would this not shape covenant? already a generous church into one that might become renowned to God's glory, not our own, for acts of generosity. Sitting with this song might just do that. And what will it do for us who are waiting? What might Mary's song, words spoken by this teenage girl that have become scripture, that have become our sermon today, what might they do for us who are waiting who are waiting in the midst of disease or cancer, in the midst of divorce or loss or loneliness. For those who come to church at this season and just really can't wait to fast forward through into January where we'll start talking about anything other than holidays, what will it do for those who are waiting 
whose spouses have gone on to glory ahead of them, and each passing holiday is a small prick in the heart. What will it do for those of us who are waiting for God's justice to so permeate this world that people of every color and ethnicity and language truly get treated the same? What will it do for those of us who are waiting for nations all around the world to experience freedom and prosperity under the reign of Jesus? Well, the development of hope within this community, it takes time. It takes time. How many Marys and Elizabeths, or for that matter, Zacharias and Josephs, not to leave the men out of this, might there be sitting here in these seats today waiting for an opportunity to connect more deeply with someone in the family of God? Many of us, I would assume. How many long to connect our small stories with the larger story of the people of God? Don't you wish that your morning sickness had something to do with the salvation of the world? Don't you wish that your being denied the perfect, beautiful tree to cut down in the lot and having to go find one from some other lot already cut and selected by someone else for your buying pleasure? Don't you wish that that somehow connected to the larger story of God? Don't you wish that your brown paper packages and your roasting chestnuts and all the things that we sing about and long for had something to do with the kingdom of God? In Mary's song, we find that every human moment is part of the kingdom of God coming into this world, rushing into this world if we would take the time to pay attention to it because the gospel is apparent and available in every moment for those who will ask, what is God doing here? What is he doing now? That as we wait with him, we see that he is patient to bring salvation into the world through a typical nine-month pregnancy. What might it do for those who are longing to connect their story to the story of God? Well, our churches, Covenant, and the others around us, all of God's churches encourage the cycle of recognition and response like Elizabeth had, as the Holy Spirit prompted that baby in her womb to say, look now with a kick in her belly at what God is doing. Do you feel the kick today? Some of you might actually be pregnant in the room and you're saying, yes, I literally do. <laughs> Some of you, it's just lunchtime is near. As Ebenezer Scrooge said in that famous story, maybe it's a bit of bad gravy or mustard. You feel something stirring inside, something saying, I know that there needs to be more and there needs to be deeper out of these seasons of holidays and reflecting on God's purposes in the world, yes, but it will not come by rushing through our calendared holidays. It will come by sitting with pregnant Mary. Much can be learned from sitting quietly with our brothers and our sisters as the world pushes us relentlessly towards a louder, larger, and ever more expensive December 25th. But those who linger here will be strengthened, prepared, and deepened for their Christmas celebration. Can't you see the God of promise keeping is celebrated in this song? That he is the one who promised to Abraham to care for his descendants. He made a covenant with Abraham. A covenant is a special kind of promise that though you break it, I will not. 
God makes this covenant with Abraham in a few iterations. He tells him, go, and I will give you the land that I'll show you. He tells him that those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed. He tells him that uh, I want you to set out some animals and sacrifice to me, and then whenever it would be the appropriate time for Abram to walk through the animals, symbolizing that if the covenant is broken, I will die. God walks through the animals, symbolizing when you break the covenant, I will die. He keeps his promises to Abraham, and it's going to come true in this little child in Mary's womb. See the God of promise-keeping, of covenant-keeping. He is a God of covenant-keeping. He will keep covenant church alive and well and strong. Mary saw that golden thread woven throughout history in her most earthy, fleshy moments. Can we With God's help, we can. Pray with me. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you today asking that you would take off of us some of the pressures that the holidays bring. That in the song of Mary, that you would rewrite some of our own songs so that instead of so much glitter and glass ornaments and tinsel and bows and hot chocolate and carols, we would begin to sit in just exactly where you've put us today, with all of our pains and our little arthritic annoyances and our headaches, and with all of our relational difficulties, with all of the people that overlook us, with all of the big powers and governments and rulers in the world that seem to do what they will, help us to sit still and remember that you alone are in heaven and you do whatever you want. Help us to remember that you're the keeper of promises even when we break them, that you're the fulfiller of expectations even when ours are not easily met, that you alone fill the hungry with good things. Would you reveal to the heart of every person listening today what is that spiritual need they've been longing for? What is that hunger they feel inside? How is this hunger pointing them to Jesus, the Savior, Come into the world to participate with us in our very normal moments so that he could elevate us to become sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah to the baby who became the king. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.